going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is the Going Deep Podcast, and I am Donovan Bennett, and I'm really excited for this episode because it's just going to be a conversation on the year in sports, but really the year of reporting on sports. And in our industry, we have a lot of talking heads, if you will, spewing hot takes, but I think a lost art form is journalism, and that's journalism with a capital J. So I'm going to talk to true journalists, people who actually talk to people on the ground, who cite sources to give context to you, the audience, listener, reader, and two guys who I look up to because they do it on all platforms are Jeff Blair and Arash Benetti, my colleagues here at Sportsnet. So I want to talk to them about one process that they're both involved in, the Northern Star Award, and how that committee goes through all of the great years, performances, seasons, accomplishments of Canadian athletes and distills that down to one deserving candidate. This year it was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I'm interested to hear what they learned that maybe they didn't know on all of the events they reported on this year and what they're looking forward to in what will be a banner 2024 year because it is a... Summer Olympics here, which both men will be covering to some extent. Let's start with the host of Blair and Barker and Blue Jays Talk on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, really the Sportsnet Radio Network. He's got a lot of roles, and he's made time for us. Jeff Blair, let's go deep. So, Jeff, there's so much that happened in 2023 and that prospectively, as a sports fan, and journalist, I'm sure you're looking forward to in 2024. But before we get to that, I want to, if you can, take a bit of a peek into the process that you're involved in, in the Northern Star Award, going to SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander this year, which is deserving, but like most years, lots of competition. And really, philosophically, you can go different ways with it. I'm part of like a somewhat similar but dim different process in voting for the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame, but but this is different. You're not looking at a, a body of work across a career. It's body of work across a calendar year. What's the process like in terms of distilling down who will be candidates, how the voting works, how people advocate for the candidates, and how you end up with a, a decision? Yeah, it, it's, it's actually it's really interesting, the whole advocacy um, thing because generally what happens and I, and I I'm trying to remember how many people were actually involved in the vote this year but um, to Damien Cox's credit Damien's kind of the guy that uh, that sort of organizes this thing along with Phil Bingley they've done a really good job in the past five years or so of making sure that uh, representation is from across the country there's some former athletes involved in it who've gone into media um, it's just it, it's it's a much more inclusive process than 
it was even when I started out voting in this. And I think I started out like five or six years ago. Um, but yeah, you know, essentially, I think everybody, I, I don't think anybody's mind gets changed uh, on voting day. Uh, you kind of, I think we all kind of come up with our own list and our own ranking going into the process. You know, it, there's about two hours. I wouldn't even call it debate. There's two hours where, you know, one person will, uh, you know, will, will, will pitch, if you want to call it that, Shea Gilgis Alexander, for example. Uh, I mean, one year um, I pitched Kaylee Humphreys. And, and essentially, usually what happens is someone who either knows the person or has spent time covering the person does the quote-unquote pitching. You know, Scott Russell generally does all the amateur athletes most of the time, actually. But, I mean, essentially, you you know going in, you, you kind of have an idea what the list is. Now, and, and it it's changed over the past couple of years to the point now where the final vote is just you pick one of five. And it used to be that you would rank athletes, you know, one to five finalists. You would rank them one, two, three, four, five. Um, now it's essentially just you pick one of the one of the finalists. And I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of debate. You know, it probably the most interesting one I've been involved in was uh, the whole Alfonso Davies and uh, uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif vote where it finished in a tie Um, that seemed to make everybody happy because there were clearly cases to be made for both both athletes look in terms of of athletic performance and international recognition and all that Alfonso Davies was far and away far and away the athlete of the year Um, you know he made he was the I believe he made the all champions league team. He was selected one of the best under 21 players in the game, all, all that stuff. But you know, there was, because we'd been coming out of COVID or we were coming out of COVID and because of what Laurent Duvernay Tardif had done, um, you know, using his medical degree to really, to make a, a measurable difference in a lot of people's lives and sort of sacrificing his career for it. It was an interesting vote because Here's somebody who, you know, um, as I said, essentially saved some lives. And the argument against that is, yeah, but he's an offensive lineman. And, you know, is he a good offensive lineman? And he wasn't an all pro. And then you get into, yeah, but, you know, he's he he was blocking the blind side. I mean, you could get you could get really granular with the discussion. And that was maybe the most interesting debate slash vote I have been a part of. I like the fact that it ended in a tie. Um, again, I voted for Alfonso, I, Alfonso Davies, but I certainly, you know, if people wanted to go the other way and, and vote uh, for Laurent Duvernay-Tart, if I, you know, I didn't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize. I'm going to say, yeah, he, okay, so he saved lives, but he's just an offensive lineman. You know, that's not an argument that's easy to make. This year, there really wasn't, Donovan, I think there was much of a debate this year. Um, you know, I, I I, mean, going in, I had my final three uh, 
candidates. I thought Shea Gilgis Alexander, not just for what he did in the NBA, but because of what he did uh, in Canadian basketball, for Canadian basketball, helping the team qualify for the Olympics. I, to me, it was just an obvious decision. Uh, Summer McIntosh is our most dominant female athlete right now with, you know, apologies to the uh, tremendous soccer and hockey players we have. Summer McIntosh is, is, is just, she's the next big thing in amateur sports. And Cameron Rogers, um, you know, just won an event we never win. And so I, I had those three down as my, kind of my finalists going in. And that's, you know, when it came time to vote, I voted Shea Gillis, uh, Gilgis Alexander, number one. You get debates about uh, you know, team athletes versus individual athletes, um, and and there and and I kind of have a problem with that because my argument with amateur athletes, even in a non-Olympic year, has always been, you know, look, you've got at best one or two times in a calendar year, if you're an amateur athlete, where you have to be at your best. Connor McDavid goes scoreless in four games. Well, he's got a fifth game coming up, right? If if you're an amateur athlete, you've got to excel on that day. And I put a lot of stock in that. And I think that's why there's always a debate generally about, generally about why amateur athletes do so well in this. Like every Olympic year, generally the best Olympian gets the award. And I think that's the reason because... People do put a lot of stock in an athlete that rises to the occasion, given their one shot. Um, so it, it's 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 an interesting process. As I said, it, it's um, I I didn't think there was much of a debate this year. I, th- I think going in, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people just looked at at what Shea Gildress Alexander did and said it was the obvious. He was the obvious choice. Which is why I can't wait for 2024, a summer Olympic year. And, and to your point, an Olympic year is it generally goes to uh, an Olympian or amateur athlete. But this year we have a bit of a hybrid with the, both the men and, and women uh, in, in uh, basketball and mm-hmm. women in soccer be, being in the Olympics where you, you could have a quote-unquote team sport athlete excelling at the Olympics. You know, if Jamal Murray ends up, you know, having a great NBA season and having a huge Olympics, you know, how do you quantify that in comparison to Maggie McNeil having a great uh, swim in the pool or Summer McIntosh continuing her dominance or Damian Warner and or Pierce Lepage, you know, winning gold right. in the Olympics? I, what are the you know, Canadian athletic storylines that you're really looking forward to in 2024 that might swing our conversation uh, about who our best athlete is next year. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our field athletes, I think are, are intriguing. I mean, I think we tend to focus generally in our track athletes. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, especially what people like Cameron Rogers do. I, I think, you know, look, I don't follow swimming daily, but, um, People who do things I read, people I've spoken to, and I, there's still some people around the sport because my daughter was involved in swimming that I, I talked to. Um, everybody just says it's going to be the summer of summer. 
And um, that's it. That really is, I think, the, the, the storyline I'm most interested in from a Canadian point of view. Uh, you know, one of the reasons swimmers tend to do well in this is because they have opportunity to win multiple medals. Same thing as sprinters, because you can, you know, you can run the 100, 200, and then be part of the relay teams. I mean, someone comes out of the Olympics with three gold medals. It's awfully hard to overlook that person, right? I mean, it, it's it sounds trite, you know. If, if someone, if if Canada's uh, men win a, win the Olympic gold medal in basketball, and and Shea Gilgis Alexander has a great tournament, you know, obviously I think people will will look at that. But when you get to numbers of medals, I think in an Olympic year, that tends to really carry a lot of weight. So that's that's a story I'm most interested in uh, out of the Olympics. The other story kind of on a broader uh, broader spectrum is are we finally going to see the emergence of another sprinter who, look, I don't think anybody is ever, I don't think anybody in my lifetime is going to be Usain Bolt and match Usain Bolt in terms of cultural impact uh, or even business impact. But going into every Olympics as someone who who loves watching sprinting and following sprinting, that's kind of my, that's what I'm interested in. Is there going to be somebody who is going to emerge as that transcendent star? Will it be a Canadian? Um, who The Jamaicans, there's kind of, there's not a lot known about their team. Uh, right now. Of course, the Americans are going to be strong. There's some good European sprinters. And, and those are the, the storylines I think I'm most interested in going into the Olympics is the swimming, the sprinting, and and seeing how our basketball teams do as well. We want to get your perspective on storylines around Canada's uh, baseball team who, you know, we prove, if anything, as a fan base, that were stage five clingers. Just give us rumors of a big time prospect, and we'll follow your helicopter. We'll chart your plane. We'll come up with photos of you allegedly walking into a, an airport hangar, which are either old or fabricated. Uh, what? Because you were pulled out of the bullpen literally to cover it. What do you make of the hysteria, for lack of a better word, um, from Blue Jays fans about? Just being in the conversation uh, with Shohei Otani. Yeah, see, I mean, I, I eventually just, I, I I did what Michael Grange did when Kawhi Leonard uh, was, you know, when the whole, there was that debate, that, that story around would he return to Toronto or would he go. I just deleted my, well, now it's called X. I deleted the app from my phone. Um, and, and essentially I decided that once a day, Maybe two times a day. I was going to actually physically have to sign in to check and see if anything if anything was happening because the echo chamber was just uh, it was insane. I mean, I didn't I didn't mind it. I I, I know I know a lot of people in social media got you know were were incredibly disappointed with the way it turned out. Disappointed the way it was reported and. Yeah, it was not the it was not the greatest day in the history of baseball reportage. That's for sure. But you know, nobody lost a life. Uh, it, it was a captivating story involving, frankly, the only athlete who, athlete who could captivate people that way. Um, 
my only concern from a Blue Jays point of view is, is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't here. If you don't pursue Shohei Otani, then fans are going to criticize you for not spending money and you know not trying to take advantage of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But if you do pursue Shohei Otani and you don't get him, then the response is, oh, you wasted our time. Uh, oh, same old Blue Jays can't get anything done, you know, even though the one thing this team has done really well is sign free agents. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't I, I just didn't get as I just didn't get as worked up about how it turned out as a lot of people did, Donovan. I mean, I thought all along he was going to go to the Dodgers that I think on that Friday there was a chance he was coming to Toronto the fact that guys like Jeff Passan weren't reporting anything about it and the fact that Jeff Passan's MO is, look, if I don't know what's happening, I'm just not going to say anything. Right? Like one thing about Passan is when he reports a story, um, it's happened or it's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I I kind of knew, I knew something a couple of other people didn't know, right? Jeff Passan, surprise, surprise, he's represented by CAA, the same agency that represents Shohei Otani. Now, obviously, Shohei Otani's agent isn't his agent, isn't Passan's agent, but you kind of think that maybe if the story was going to leak, it would probably come out through that avenue or, or through one of the other. I think there are other reporters who might be represented by CAA as well. So I kind of had that in the back of my head throughout this whole thing. Um, and I didn't, frankly, didn't pay attention to the, uh, you know, the chartered, the chartered flight thing because I, ju- I just, um, I, you know, I was, if you had shown me Shohei getting on the plane, I would have been interested. But, at, at, at that point, I think it was just a matter of a lot of people, frankly, a lot of people with a lot of time in their hands, just kind of, you know, trying to read into the read into the tea leaves. And, and so, I mean, I know that's a long winded answer, but that's kind of my take because I've had time to think about it now uh, on the whole situation situation with Shohei Otani. I mean, my concern is where do you go from there if you're the Blue Jays, if you don't get Cody Bellinger? I mean, you've. What do you sell your fans on? You're going to sign J.D. Martinez, Jorge Soler. Boy, that sounds an awful lot like Brandon Belt and uh, Kevin Kiermaier to me. Except neither of those two are as good defensively as Kevin Kiermaier. But uh, you know, if you bring Matt Chapman back, I mean, there's really nobody out on the market right now at third base who's better than him. But we've kind of gone down the road with Matt Chapman before, and we kind of know what he is. And that's kind of my one concern is when you get people excited and it, you know, plan A doesn't turn out, plan B quite often just isn't as sexy. And it can make sense analytically and all that stuff. But when you're trying to sell premium seating in a, you know, in, in a newly configured uh, Rogers Center, and you're asking people for more money and long-term commitments. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think, and, and you're doing it after a year in which the team, well, let's face it, the second year in a row that the postseason was a huge disappointment. Um, 
I, I, I kind of wonder what you can do to excite people. And, and I think we're at this year, 2023 Donovan was probably the year that the afterglow of 2015, 2016 wore off, right? It was the year that people stopped saying, man, Bowen Vladdy, it's the core of the team. This is great. We got them for a while. 2023 was the year people started saying, oh, my God, we've only got these guys for two more years. Um, and, and and that's why I think this postseason collapse really had a more dramatic impact on things than last year's postseason collapse. This is this 20, 2024 is a massive year for this organization. It is a huge year because if they don't win or if we get to the all-star break and the season – hasn't gone the way people want it to. And the AL East is getting tough. There's every chance that the Jays could be the fourth best team in the division this year. If we get to the trade deadline and the season hasn't gone the way people want it to go, we have got to start thinking about the Jays trading Vladdy or Bo. Uh, We just have to. Well, you talk about that perspective on those two, you know, at times exciting prospects and then, contributors to the big league team and, and all-stars, you know, the perspective on them changing. And now I think people are asking the question, well, not only do we not have them locked up for a long time, do we want to have them locked up for a That's long fair. time? Given Especially what, with Vladdy. Absolutely. Yeah. Given what it's going to cost and given you haven't shown an ability to build a winning roster around them when they're cheap. So yeah. that will be increasingly difficult when they're expensive. I wonder because... It, I think my biggest takeaway from the Otani thing was people just wanted to forget what happened last year and give themselves a reason to be excited for what might be to come and give themselves a reason to pay the increased prices they're going to have to pay to get into that remade building next year. But, you know, whether it's, you know, that front office group, you know, the the player pool that consider themselves leaders in the clubhouse if there is one learning from 2023 that can be best applied to 2024, what would you say it is? Because, you know, this team has been relatively interesting, exciting, and had all-stars, but you've, you've really moved the food around the plate in terms of what the issue is you're looking to solve every offseason. The results haven't been appreciably different at the end. What for you is the biggest hole in that boat that needs to be covered up? I think the biggest hole and and maybe the thing we realized this year, when I say we, I'm talking about Jays fans, people who follow the team in general. I think, and, and this is probably a painful conclusion, but I think we kind of realized that Vladdy may not be the guy. Uh, Vladdy may be the type of player who needs to have someone, you know, another impactful hitter, power hitter around him. Uh, He's not going to be the guy you can stick in the middle of the order and is going to carry the team. I mean, he's, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not going to bring this up all the time, but the fact of the matter is it, he put his best numbers up playing in minor league ballparks. He did not hit a lot of home runs here last year. And, I think that is the was the biggest takeaway from me is the fact that Vladdy may not be Michael Jordan. He may be Scottie Pippen, which is not a bad thing, uh, but it's not what 
we thought he'd be. Like, if if you asked me right now, who would you rather sign to a six or seven year contract, Vladdy or Bo? To me, it's Bo in a heartbeat because they both play every day. They they both stay healthy. Which full credit to them for that. But um, I just trust Bo more than I do Vladdy. I think Bo is um, a little less high maintenance. You know, I, Kevin and I had a chance to talk to David Ortiz a couple of weeks ago, and I was look. I I knew that Vladdy. We know that Vladdy had his uncle Wilton Guerrero come in and spend some time with him. Um, I was surprised to hear that Vladdy had reached out to David Ortiz at one point in the season and basically said, "Help me, <laughs> nothing's working here," and that during the All Star break. He sent Ortiz a bunch of clips of him, and they had they got together at the All Star break and had a you know a fairly prolonged conversation uh, about what needed to be done. That this is an organization that has a million hitting coaches and a million people talking hitting, and it's got Don Mattingly, Donnie Baseball is is right there in the dugout, and it concerns me that Vladimir Guerrero Jr is asking his uncle and David Ortiz not to take anything away from David Ortiz but that he's putting he's putting faith in in those guys. What does that tell you? Well, that tells you that he doesn't think he's getting what he needs out of this team and out of this out of this coaching staff. So I I don't know where you go. I, I don't know where you go from there. Uh, with Flatty, you know, maybe he missed Teoscar Hernandez, and and not necessarily his presence in the clubhouse because I don't I don't know if that was really as much of an issue as a lot of people thought it was. I just think he missed having Teoscar around him in the batting order. I mean, with all due respect to Brandon Belt, nobody ever 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 goes into a game thinking, man, we can't let Brandon Belt beat us today. You know, when Teoscar was here and Teoscar was hitting home runs, you were aware of that power you weren't aware of uh or or weren't concerned at least about Brandon Belt so that was kind of my biggest lesson this year is I just don't think I'm going to count on Vladdy as much as I have in the past and this offseason is the first time that I've seriously thought okay would you trade Vladdy you know, like when the Otani stuff was going on, I, I was asking myself, would I consider trading two years of Vladdy for a year of Juan Soto, for example? I thought, yeah, I would do that. Um, you know, obviously you'd have to have some other pieces around in, in the deal to, to make it even out because you've got a year's, there's a whole difference of a year's service time there. But that's the first time that I've actually thought that I, that I've seriously thought about trading Vladdy. And I, I I don't think the Jays are at that point yet because luckily, you know, the 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 only determining factor for this front office is will a move make the team better? I mean, there's no financial pressure to make a deal, which is maybe the one saving grace of this whole situation uh compared to previous years, but yeah, I just I I just can't count on Vladdy as much as I uh, as much as I did in the past. And um, and I, I didn't think I didn't think we'd be I didn't think we'd be at that point, uh, you know, in, in going into his fifth year 
of uh, his fifth professional year. I didn't think we'd, we'd be at that point with him. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but I love to talk to scouts. Maybe it's just they're on the road so much, they're by themselves, that you, when you get a hold of them, they just love to talk. But one thing scouts often say is when a player shows you that it's in there, then it's it's on you as an organization, coaching staff, to get it out of them consistently. We're talking about someone who is runner-up in the MVP. Like, Vladdy has shown you that it's in there. Now, do you believe it maybe was an anomaly and not the rule? Or uh, do you believe that maybe this just isn't the best situation to get out of him? Because when you say, I trust Bomo, Bo, Bo Moore, to me that means really you, you trust the approach more than, than anything. Yeah. And, and you're, you're trusting him in December and January more so than you know, what happens in April and May. Yeah, and let's be clear. I mean, Bo's never going to hit, never going to hit as many home runs as Vladdy at his best. He's not. He's, you know, he's not a a classic run. He's not a classic run producer, um, in 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 that sense of the word. But uh, yeah, it, it it's things. Bo took the Jays to arbitration a couple of years. Or I didn't take, I sh- let me rephrase that. He didn't take them to arbitration, but he forced them to renew him a couple of times. Now, and, and that's basically financially, you know, Bo didn't lose any money doing that. It didn't cost the Jays any extra money. But when you force a team to renew you, you're basically saying, yeah, I don't agree with how you're valuing me. And because that happened, a couple of years. I was surprised when Bo ended up signing that extension last year that covers off his years leading up to free agency. That made me think that maybe you know, maybe there's a message there. Like When you get a deal like that done, it makes it a lot easier to sign that long-term deal and avoid free agency. So I, that kind of made me change my mind a bit because I'd always been under the impression that there was – Knowing Bo's personality, I I kind of had the impression that if if either of those two were going to find themselves in a situation where, um, you know, they just need a change of scenery, that it was just the relationship had gotten old, and I I, I would have thought it would have been Bo. I thought he was the guy that would probably be the first guy to think, you know, maybe you know this isn't working out here. I've got to move on, and maybe part of that is just. You know, Bo is uh, – Vladdy always seems to be happy. You know, he he, he kind of gives you that impression, whereas Bo is kind of the, I can't talk to you now because I've got to go and catch, you know, 3,000 ground balls to get ready for tonight's game. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's, that's a, just a personality thing. And that's very much reflective, frankly, of their parents were like that. I covered Vladdy Sr. a lot. Vladdy was like that was exactly like that both he and junior worked their ass off but i haven't been around as many players that seem to have as much fun and and express as much joy you know going about their routine as the guerreros do uh and you know bo is very much like dante it's just i'm you know that's a brick wall i'm not going to figure out how to go around it or go over it i'm just going to keep pounding my head against the wall until it eventually until it eventually gives in. And I, um, so, you know, that's another thing that happened this year. That kind of, that changed my perspective a, a little bit. 
between the two of them, the, the sense that maybe the relationship between Bo and the organization was better than the relationship uh, between Vladdy and the organization. But you know, either way, it gets back to my point, I think, about 2024. This is, this is a big year. Like it, you know, Right now, the uncomfortable questions are about whether or not this team is good enough to win a playoff series. Halfway through this year, the question is whether or not the roster needs a major overhaul to win a playoff series and those are two uh those are two different those are two different things and as i said it's a discussion that i don't think a lot of jays fans thought they would be having i think the discussion we thought once vladdy or Bo got into their fifth or sixth year the discussion was going to be man this thing has gone so well how do we keep this together like, how do we hold on to both of these guys? How, how do we get them both signed to seven-year contracts? Now you look at their performance in the postseason. Can't put it any other way. They've not been good playoff performers. Uh, we saw that game in Minnesota where Vladdy, uh, the base running mistakes. I mean, they just they haven't had good playoffs, uh, the two of them combined. So eh, there's a lot of... There's a lot of uncomfortable questions, I think, that need that need to be answered this year uh, about those two. Well, there's so much parity in baseball that, you know, if you get one of those lottery tickets and getting into the postseason, w- history has shown no matter the roster construction, no matter the payroll, you never know what's going to happen. So the fact that they've gotten there consistently and not been able to advance uh, is somewhat troubling. Normally, by the time... Spring training rolls around and it gets warm. We forget what happened the year prior. People are excited for opening day. There is a honeymoon effect to the beginning of a baseball season. And I'm afraid, Jeff, that this year, barring again, you know, something wild happening in free agency or via trade like the year where you had R.A. Dickey and Jose Reyes and everyone coming and changing, you know, the perspective of what the year might look like. I'm afraid that there won't be that same level of, honeymoon effect to start this year people you know maybe who who don't live in the city maybe don't realize that it's not really a 416 team you have people driving in or taking the go train in from the suburbs in the 905 area people flying in for weekends to see the city and catch a jays series and the level of investment given that getting in the building is going to be increasingly expensive and the fact that the the feelings off of what happened last year aren't as positive. I I, I worry what the what the psyche of the fan base is going to be like to start the year, especially if they don't get off to a hot start. What does success look like for the team in the front office in 2024? Is it solely on the business side? Do you sell more suites? Do you have more brand partnerships? Are we a viable business or is it a little bit more tangible in terms of wins and losses? Yeah, they, to me, they have to at least win a playoff series. And, I mean, I, that is that is the bare minimum. Um, just it, honestly, making the playoffs and losing another playoff series, to me, would be worse than not making the playoffs uh, this year because it just kind of rein, it, it reinforces that um, – it, it just reinforces that, that – this is a team that even when it has a decent year can't get over, you know, that, that final hurdle. I mean, it just hasn't been able to do that. 
you know, since since 2016. You raise an interesting point because um, the Jays are always going to be, I think, will always be a team that has enough, enough of a national imprint that people from Vancouver are going to go to Seattle to see them play. People from uh, Calgary are going to, you know, going to go to see them play when they're in the Midwest. People from Saskatchewan and Manitoba are going to go and see them play when they're uh, in Minnesota and, you know, whenever they're in Cleveland or, or Detroit or places like that. People from Southern Ontario will go. The national imprint is there, and I don't think that's going to change. But what what concerns me is I think this team, without playoff success is on the verge of becoming they're almost on the verge of turning their regular seasons into something pointless much like the Leafs and the Raptors like with all due respect to those two teams doesn't matter what they do in the regular certainly the Leafs I don't care what the Leafs do in the regular season they have to win a cup at some point um you you look at the Raptors I don't know what the Raptors are I, I just don't. I know this. They're not good enough to win a title. They may not be good enough to get into the playoffs. I don't find them as entertaining as they used to be. And and that's my concern with, with the Jays is you you don't want to get to the point where people kind of go, oh, who really cares? Yeah, the Leafs, oh, the Leafs beat Nashville tonight. They lost to the Rangers, you know, a couple uh, – Two nights early, a big deal. It doesn't matter. You know, the Raptors, they lost to Atlanta. You know, they beat whomever, you know, the night before. I mean, it doesn't matter. You don't want to get to that point, especially in baseball, because you play every night. And that narrative just keeps building, right? Every game, every night. And, and, that I think has to be like on the business side. I mean, this this team is fine. This team this team is going to make money hand over fist this year. Um, it's it's never been in a in better shape in terms of its business. Certainly not since ninety two ninety three. It just isn't. But on the field, I think there's I think I think there's some I think there's a real chance there will be a disconnect. Uh, there will be a disconnect with fans. And as I said, I, I I started to notice it a little bit last year. There was some softening in attendance last year that we didn't see the year before. The TV numbers are great. They're robust, which kind of gets to my point about them being still a dominant national brand. But, yeah, there's a... There's... You just don't want to become pointless. That's the. I know that's probably not the right word to describe the sense that I get uh, when it comes to the Leafs and the Raptors because clearly people are following them still. But you just don't want to be that team, right? You don't want to be. Oh, well, they lost two in a row. Big deal. They lost three in a row. Hey, they won three in a row. Big deal. You, you, you don't want that. And it's as I said, it's especially damaging in baseball because it happens at a time in the summer where there's nothing else going on except the Olympics this year. There's not much else going on, and it's a daily narrative. Like it, there is nothing worse. There is nothing worse than covering on a daily basis a baseball team that is just 
kind of stuck in the mushy middle. There's just nothing worse than that. Yeah, those other teams you mentioned, the Leafs, the Raptors, even when you know the regular season has been relative irrelevant, people have said, show me what you do in the postseason. They still haven't had issues filling their buildings in the regular season, yeah. which I think is the distinction between asking people to sit through 162 of baseball for a team Correct. that might not have postseason success. There might be something worse than covering a baseball team in the mushy middle, and that is covering a soccer team in North America or Canada that is a dumpster fire. And you've had that privilege, I suppose. I remember when TFC was rolling, I, I did a piece with you and others looking back at some of the mainly down, but some up years historically oh God, yeah. on TFC. And I, I have to have to say that I'm not sure, and you can correct me, was there a year that was worse in TFC's long history than the one that we just saw, just given that they've never spent more and they've never been worse. And now, you know, they obviously have John Herdman coming in, which creates huge question marks with the Canadian national team. And before I let you go, just your pulse on the conversation around soccer in our country, whether it is professional, uh, international, um, because we, we quickly went from place where we were saying, well, soccer in Canada is on the rise, like, like tennis and basketball too a place where we have a acrimonious relationship with soccer in many markets right now. Yeah. I, you know, I, the first thing, um, the first thing I would, you know, would preface is I had no idea um, about John, you know, the, the situation surrounding John Herdman going into the world cup with his, with his family. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that we, uh, we, uh, you know, we found out about that this year. So, you know, I think you kind of have to view that. It makes me view the World Cup through a different lens, I guess, is is what I would say. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, it's it, it's interesting. When John Herdman left uh, the Canadian men's team to go to TFC, you kind of, you got the sense that was there was more to the story than... A lot of people were letting on, you know, you, you, the people that I expected to say, um, oh my God, this is the worst thing to happen to Canadian men's soccer. You didn't really, you didn't really hear that. It, it was, it was a little more measured than I, than I thought it would be. And it almost made me think that, you know, perhaps people, um, people much closer to the scene than I was certainly had the sense that maybe, you know, God bless John Herdman. He, he just, he, he wasn't up to the task at that particular time. And I almost subsequent to that from talking to a couple of people and, and, and a couple of people in particular who know John really well, who played for him um, and, and, and just know him on a personal basis. I kind of get, I, I get the impression that the Canadian men's team needed to move on from John Herdman as much as he needed to move on from them. Um, I don't know how his, I don't know how it'll work with TFC. You know, I, I don't know, as you pointed out, the, the huge payroll. I, I just, I, I don't know how you correct what's wrong with TFC. I, I, I have no idea how you do that. Um, it's it's funny. I keep thinking back to 
and I can't remember what year this was, but Ryan Nelson was coaching Toronto FC. And this was in that era when nothing was going right. You know, the Aaron Vinter era, just nothing was going right for Toronto FC. And, and as I was still at the Globe and Mail then, and I was sitting down doing a story with Ryan and um, sitting in his office and um, we just just talking and 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 he just said to me, "Come here, I want to show you something." Ah, fine. So we went in this back room and there's all this audio stuff. I'm sorry, all this video stuff. There, I mean, there was just it was like going into a it was like going into one of those portable TV production studios. And I thought, this is. I, I said, "What's this?" He said, "Well, this is all." This is the technology we have to get better. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And we don't have anybody who can use it. I said, what? He said, yeah, wait, this is a waste. He said, we, he said, this organization spends more money and wastes more money on stuff that isn't going to have an impact on the core issues surrounding the team than, than any team I've been around. It, it, basically, what he's saying is this, this group is just clueless. And I really get the sense, based on what we saw this past year, that we, we've kind of gone into that stage again with this team, that it just it knows it's got a lot of money, and it just doesn't know what to do with it. And, you know, who's the best available Italian player? Let's go get him. It was like when they got Torsten Frings. Uh, there's a German player that's available. He must be good. Let's go get the German. Let's get a couple more Germans. Oh, we can't get any more Germans. Okay, well, <laughs> let's go and get the Italians. And and I, I, I really get the sense that that's kind of what has happened with, with TFC is, oh, this guy, you know, this guy played in a World Cup team. Let's sign him. And, um, you know, like, I mean, Lorenzo Insigne, I, I don't think there's been another athlete in Toronto who skated by as much as this guy? This guy, this guy hasn't done anything, as far as I can tell. And you know, he came here with a pretty substantial international pedigree. But man, I mean, if if this guy played for the Raptors or the Leafs or for uh, you know, the Blue Jays, I mean, he would have been pillory. They would have been, you know, he would have been run out of town. It's just, it's a very bizarre situation and I'm always I always think back to that that talk I had that day that just the the whole idea that we got all these great resources like we got more resources than anybody in the planet and we just you know it's like having somebody it's it's like having an F1 team and and I don't know having having cyclists drive the car it's like we got all this great stuff all this great technology unfortunately None of us know what the hell to do with it. It looks good. The bells and whistles are really great. We can have fun with it, and it's cool, and it's impressive. But it really isn't having an impact. So, you know, when I see John Herdman come into that situation, um, I don't know if he's going to be able to sell what he normally sells to a bunch of players that have to be pretty skeptical now he's going to have guys he'll have guys like jonathan osorio who who know him and that that will probably help but i just part of me thinks you're going to see guys look at john herdman and you know john herdman's going to be doing some of his psychological you know hocus pocus and they're just going to look at him and go 
dude, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you talking about? Just tell me, tell me where to stand, and 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 I'll go and do that. And as for the Canadian, as far as the Canadian men's team goes, you know, I, I I'm led to believe we're finally going to have some clarity on who's going to be in charge of the men's team. I'm hoping, I'm absolutely hoping that they end up going after a guy like Thomas Christensen, um, you know, somebody with a track record of having a little bit of success with underdog teams. Thomas Christensen, who um, uh, is the head coach of, of Panama, um, you know, and I think he may be under contract, which, which, which you know, means Soccer Canada is going to have to pay to get him out of it. But as we all know, Donovan, in soccer, there is no sport where a contract means less than soccer. I mean, it just doesn't. It's not even worth the paper that it's, it's written on. I would love to see the Canadian Soccer Association get somebody who knows their way around CONCACAF and knows how to get the best out of an underdog team because as, as much as this is a very talented group, it's always going to be talented with, with Jonathan David and Tejan Buchanan and, of course, Alfonso Davies. It is a group that is going to be going through a transition period. And I think if you can kind of take the approach, especially since we're going to be one of the hosts of the World Cup, if you can kind of take the approach that, look, we're probably not as good as we thought we were in the last World Cup but we're still good. Let's try to find a way where you can take a little bit of that, the the stuff that comes from everybody's against us. We're the underdog, et cetera, et cetera. Take some of that and marry it to the talent you have. Uh, you know, the, the four or five players who are just transcendent players. If you can find somebody who can mix that together, I think, I think that'll be that'll be a key for Canada because um yeah it's just uh man we can't we can't like those of us who followed soccer in this Donovan you can't waste Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David and Tejan Buchanan you just can't you 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 can't waste that that those natural resources I mean it, it would be it would be a crime and I'm not saying that Canada's going to win the world cup or anything like that but when you know that you're in the world cup because you're hosting it you should be able to come up with a strategic plan to make your team as sharp as it can possibly be, have it peak at the right time going into the World Cup. That's the very least you you should be able to do. That would be nice. We did waste the prime of Christine Sinclair and and Carl Lang, although Christine played so long uh, and elongated her prime that the program caught up. Hopefully... We don't go through the same road with the men's program. And hopefully, you know, Jason Hernandez and Bill Manning kept a, maybe a gift receipt on some of their international spending. and They can redo some of that work this year. We will be following your work both uh, in and around the diamond and in, in sports in general. Uh, enjoy the holidays. Get some rest because it's going to be a busy one in 2024. Well, I hope it is. You too, Donovan. Take care. Thank you so much to Jeff Blair and give him a follow on X at SN Jeff Blair. It still feels weird to say X, but here we are. IG, Instagram, he can be found at at SNet Blair as well. Take a break and we'll talk to someone who's literally hard to find. 
that is the Rashmanani because he's kind of like where's Waldo? He's all over the world covering big sporting events. We catch up with him next. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you're listening to Go and Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad. And next up, joining us on the line is Arash Madani, who I've said this before, there are various Arash Madanis. There is reporting Arash where, you know, he is all business and he's got his microphone cocked to the side giving you the information that you need to know. There is Bishop Sarash, who is just a stand for all things Bishop Skaters and really the town of Lennoxville. There's Minnesota Vikings Rash, who I, I worry about, who just, it seems like hate watches his football team every Sunday. There's CFL Rash, who's both very informed and very antagonistic about our Canadian Football League, but holds their feet to the fire when necessary. And then there's Beers Arash, who socially, no one having a better time and is the life of the party. Let's go deep with Podcast Arash to find out what he's looking forward to in 2024, how he reflects on everything he's covered in 2023, especially the rise, continued rise, of Tennis Canada and the continued demise of the Minnesota Vikings. Let's listen to and learn from Arash Madani. So Arash, it has been a busy 2023 for you. Like People are tracking Shohei Otani's plane. I've been tracking your planes just to see where is Madani going now? What big sport event is he on the way to covering? What story is he breaking? Uh, before we get into everything you covered and what you're looking forward to cover in 2024. I want to start the conversation where I started it with Jeff Blair, and that is on the award given to Shea Gildas Alexander, the North Star Award, something that you were part of the process in, and you get to see such a balance of international athletes, obviously athletes that are Canadian doing great work in team sports. SGA, because he played internationally for us and, and will again this summer, is a bit of both. I know you were an advocate for him going into that room even before voting uh, was cast. Uh, you got to saw what he did up close and personal. Why was he the right choice? Well, he was the right choice because, one, he's a top five player in the world in the NBA, you know, NBA all-first team. Um, from the start of this season, he's scoring – higher scoring than Steph, than LeBron, than Jokic, right there head-to-head with KD. Um, you know, at the at the World Cup, Donovan, it wasn't just that he was clutch. It was that over and over and over again in the biggest moments, this dude just delivered. And I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about SGA what his makeup, like what, what gets him out of bed in the morning? What, you know, what, what his heartbeat is. And we had a chance to sit down for about 15 minutes in early August. And I'm just like, okay, where are you in your basketball trajectory? Where do you feel you are who you are? 
And I thought some of the things that he talked about there were so important. He just said he, he still feels like he's just learning. He thinks there's so much more for him to learn. That's what motivates him. Um, he wants to be challenged. And the other thing is he looks at the GOATs. He looks at Jordan. He looks at Kobe. He talks about their competitiveness and the way they approach the game, the cerebral aspect. And that's that's what he strives to be. That's what he wants to do. And I, and I just get the sense that in a lot of ways, both professionally in the NBA and with the national team, 2023 was just the start for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You know, you mentioned Jordan, and it's blasphemous to compare any you know, basketball player to Jordan. We learned that after we called Harold Miner baby Jordan. But the mannerisms to me are so similar in the sense that he's never really sped up. He's always at his own pace and he's never really surprised when he's clutch. Like he's not right. Like you wouldn't, when he walks back to, you know, a Jordy Fernandez huddle, you would, if you just tuned in, you would have no idea if they were up 20 or down 20, if he just missed a big shot or made it like, for me watching on a screen it was so even the entire time did you get that being courtside yeah i did and uh what i'll never forget is against the americans in the bronze medal game like our setup donovan was just unbelievable we were on the baseline in jakarta between the hoop and the canadian bench and in manila we were in the corner. So I was basically sitting on the lap of, you know, the water boy for team Canada. Um, but I had an earpiece and I was able to communicate with some of the players when there were challenges and stuff going on. But I remember down the stretch, I was getting ready, you know, getting set up to do a walk-off interview just in case when at the end of regulation, Shea just hit an unbelievable step back shot. And Dwight Powell was behind me. And Powell was so amped, he just punched me right in the back. And, and you're just saying to yourself, how many more of these does he have in his toolkit? How many more of these are in his holster? And you ask him about it after, and he just kind of nonchalant shrugs his shoulders. And he says, I've been here before. I trust my preparation. I put in the work. And this is it. And and he, this is what I really appreciate about Gilgis Alexander. And I don't know where you stand on this, Donovan, is that when they clinched the Olympic spot, when he was named the athlete of the year, and wasn't it cool that he wore a 99 Canada hockey jersey, even though so whatever with pucks, yeah. But both days, both in the summer and in the winter, he said, I, sh I have so much appreciation for those who paved the way before me. And I really believe that is not just lip service. I believe that is genuine from this guy. Yeah, I mean, listen, he, if we're being honest, owes something to the program because people forget he was a four-star recruit who, you know, was on the scene because he played well internationally for Canada. He certainly, you know, wasn't expected to be, you know, one of the main guys for Kentucky and a one and done, but, you know, kept getting better and eventually saved their season and found himself 
in the lottery. The guy who, you know, for years people in Canada basketball thought was the next one is Jamal Murray to a sense. And, you know, he had a great year, obviously winning a championship. And I, I, I just wonder adding him to that environment you know, on, on some teams, there has to be a guy, right? Whether it's, you know, vocally or or on the court with the ball in their hand. I suspect, given Shea's personality, that that won't tend to matter. But you've covered sports and team dynamics and ego long enough. What do you make of what that might look like you know, moving forward in, in terms of you know, what the roster construction is like in Paris? I actually think it's going to be fine just because it's such a short condensed period of time where everybody's bought in for the greater good. Nobody's making money uh, next summer. Nobody made money this summer. Jordy Fernandez, for instance, you know, the, the head coach of the national team can come in and scream at the players and throw his clipboard and in the press conference, call out players because they all know that nine days from now it's over. It's not a it's not a seven eight month um, grind. It is a short burst, and especially in the FIBA game, it's just about who's going to be open, who's going to knock down the shot, who's going to deliver. Um, it happens so fast that you're not calling timeouts and coming out of the huddle and advancing the ball to half court and all those kinds of things. I think it's all situationally based. And I really, my sense of it being around the guys is that it, what was so refreshing about the World Cup is that it was not about me. It was not about me getting mine. It was about what can we do to win? And those players bought into a defensive first mindset right away. So down the stretch of games, it didn't matter who got the ball. What mattered was just how are we going to win? And it really showed up against Spain when, you know, basically in a win-and-go-home game, win, you clinch, lose, you're finished. Um, when they were down 12 at the, at the half, and then they were down 13 at the end of three, um, how they were able to kind of come back and come together and make it happen. You said something there that I think will surprise a lot of people listening to this, that nobody's making money. Now, certainly, if you are a shoe company and you have a relationship with these athletes, you're saying, yeah, you're going to the Olympics because we want to leverage that. But in terms of you know what's coming from the Federation, I hear that and you know I have friends of mine who are amateur athletes who look at what's going on in Canada soccer right now and they are saying, these guys are greedy. These, I should say these guys and girls are greedy. They're going to bankrupt their federation, that all that money should go to grassroots and growing the game. And then I also have people who are high-level athletes who say, I'm sorry, is Christian Pulisic playing for free? Is Marcus Rashford playing for free? These are world-class athletes giving a service and in the middle of their year getting on a plane to go and represent, and you can be both patriotic and get your fair value at the same time. Those things are not mutually exclusive you've covered the Davis cup. You've covered, you know, the CSA and Canada soccer, Canada basketball, and you're a proud Canadian. Where do you sit on, on that conversation? Uh, I sit on those players should get paid. Those players should get theirs. And I think what's really, really important to remember is that the money isn't going back to grassroots. 
or the majority of it anyway. And that's the problem. The problem is there's no transparency on where the money's going other than this Canada soccer business where it gets funneled into, you know, a deep, dark tunnel into the abyss and nobody knows where that money goes. You know, these players, what what are you asking of them? Um, effectively, on, on the men's basketball side, and I can't speak to the women as much, but it was incredible. These players gave up six weeks of their offseason. And next summer, they'll probably do the same. And then they won't have to do that. Like Donovan, they're only going to have to do that twice. Whereas on the soccer side, you know, if Canada soccer was competent enough to actually take advantage of their international windows, they would have been asked to leave their clubs in January. But Canada soccer fumbled it and couldn't even organize, you know, matches then in January or February. And then they went over to Japan in March. And then they were back on home soil this fall, uh, the ask of them is over and over and over again. And you have a collective bargaining agreement. If you have a collective bargaining agreement, which I'm told they're near to signing, you have to abide by that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all for give them theirs, give them what is a fairly negotiated deal from both sides, which is what a CBA ends up being despite some gripes and live up to it um but canada soccer which is a national sports organization is not being transparent with just opening up their books and showing the canadian public what it is when a lot you know some of their funding a lot of their funding comes from canadian taxpayers well said uh i have now tapped into angry arash so I will try to end this on a positive note, and I will not ask you about your Minnesota Vikings because that would be cruel and unusual punishment. And uh, you you could have signed you could have signed Joe Flacco you know two months ago. Um, I, I I will ask you though about the event that gets you in your happy place, and that would be covering the Olympics. We've got one coming up summer 2024. So many interesting storylines from the track to the pool to the court to the soccer pitch if our, our women are, are back to their standard. What are you most intrigued about going into 2024 from a Canadian sporting perspective and and who do you suspect we might be talking about for a Northern Star Award at this time next year? Well, it is a teenager from Toronto. She's 17 years young now, and she goes by the name of Summer McIntosh. And I hate to say this and I hate to do this, but she's already won, you know, four world championships and a couple of Commonwealth Games golds. I just, Donovan, a hot take. Summer McIntosh has the potential to be the next Michael Phelps. And I genuinely believe that. This is a generational athlete. This is an absolute megastar in the making. Uh, you look at what she's done so far at such a young age. Um, you know, no Canadian swimmer ever has had four world titles. Summer McIntosh did by the age of 16. And you look at her, like just, oh, sorry, let me just pause there. Uh, 
No Canadian athlete ever has had four world titles, and she has it at the age of 16. Full stop. You know, I could stop there, but she's got the wingspan of a basketball player. She's got the athleticism of a volleyball player. She's got the strength of a football player, and she's a badass swimmer. And, you know, McIntosh is is all in. And the other cool part about it is she's kind of into the team thing when it comes to relays. She buys into that part of it, too. Um, so I just think that when we look back on 2024, the way Penny Alexiak kind of, you know, everybody in Canada knew her by Penny. Everybody's going to know McIntosh as summer. And she is going to transcend Canada's sports and mainstream environment um, as much as any athlete ever has had in an Olympics. Well, I am looking forward to uh, this summer, both the one that you speak of and the one that is coming in 2024, what it means for sports here in Canada. I, I believe we have a chance given how many medal favorites we have going in and some of the new competitions like breaking uh, you know, that we could smash our previous medal count. If and when we do, Rashmadani will be there live from Paris uh, reporting on it. So uh, hibernate this winter, get some time off over the holidays, uh, re-energize, recharge, because uh, you're going to be needing that Nexus Pass and those frequent flyer miles in 2024, pal. I appreciate it, bud. And just one last thing. Do your Cowboys beat San Francisco in the NFC title game, or does home field advantage make the difference? Rash, don't ask me questions that you know the answer to. <laughs> I actually don't. Barring uh, Brock Purdy losing another ligament in his elbow, I don't think anybody is beating the Niners on the way to the Super Bowl. So, um, yeah, well, listen, I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm not delusional. So, uh, hey, listen, I, I wish you uh, three losses and a higher draft pick and, and maybe an elite quarterback uh, for your Vikings future. Uh, th there's nothing I would rather have than an elite quarterback, but apparently that's never going to be in the cards. Thank you so much again to my buddy Arash Madani, who you can find in airports, hotels, arenas, Zoom calls, and on your television screen quite often chasing great sports stories. If you want to have those sports stories brought to you digitally, then give them a follow at Arash Madani is the handle A R A S H M A D A N I. And while you're online, make sure you listen to this. Thank you for listening to the end, but continue to share, subscribe rate. Five stars would be appreciated, but Quite frankly, beggars can't be choosers. But honestly, if you're going to take the time to rate, like it's going to be five or one. You're either telling us you really like it or you really don't. Who's out here rating on a podcast platform giving a three? But hey, do as you wish. But most importantly, have a great holiday season as many people are off for the next couple days and weeks. We're off-ish. We'll have a podcast for you next week giving some context to all things that happen in sports in 2023. But for now, take care. Thanks for listening.